0: On your mark.
1: Tomorrow, nearly 40,000 men and women will take a tour of New York City like none other. They'll pass through all five boroughs on foot with one goal in mind finishing. Good morning. I'm George Bolarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This year marks the 38th running of the ING New York City Marathon. Runners from more than 100 countries and all 50 states are expected to take part. And we'll talk to some of them coming up in this next half hour. We'll also get some health and nutrition tips for big runs like tomorrow's 26.2 miler.
0: On a marathon day, you need to have fuel in your body before you run.
1: And later, we'll view the marathon through the lens of a photographer. That's all coming up on a marathon-themed cityscape. And we're off. The New York City Marathon began in 1970 as a race around Central Park. And it was held in September, not November, like it is today. It wasn't until 1976 that the race spread through all five boroughs. Pamela Cooper is the author of The American Marathon. I spoke with her about the history of New York City's world-famous foot race. Pamela, thanks so much for coming in.
2: You're very welcome.
1: Tomorrow, thousands of people will be participating in the New York City Marathon through all five boroughs, and there will be thousands more on the sidelines cheering them on. It wasn't always like that.
2: No, the New York City Marathon, the one that we have this day, is uh, started about 19 started in 1970 with 126 people running around central park
1: and not everyone finished
2: not everyone finished no one came out to cheer them except their spouses really and people just thought they were crazy
1: our marathon today we know is 26.2 miles was it back then
2: no it was 20 about 24 miles the first marathon and it varied it was just a very long race I mean, one of the reasons there are so many thousands of people in the New York City Marathon today was that in 1976, it was taken out to the streets of New York City, and thousands of people saw it. And you saw, 1976, that was Bill Rogers and Frank Shorter. You saw these young, fit men, they were about 29, 30, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: running through the streets. And there were a lot of young people in New York running up the Upper East Side and you thought, I can do that with a little bit of training. Not as fast, mm-hmm. but I can do that.
1: It gives you a sense of identification, a sense of triumph.
2: That is exactly right, because back then, they were ad- in 1908, people, 1909, people were identifying with an ethnic group, Irish or Italian. But here, uh, remember yuppies? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Young, upwardly mobile professionals were identifying with the uh, well-educated uh, the, the lawyer, Frank Shorter. I think he went to Yale Yale Law School and Bill Rogers was a graduate of Wesleyan. They were young and fit, they were the, the yuppie ideal.
1: It's important I guess also to point out Pamela that the organizers of the marathons, particularly the early marathons in the 70s here in New York City were gearing the marathons toward the upper classes because that was the way to sell sponsorship.
2: Exactly. They would they would ask questions on the question on the entry blank and they still do if you look on what your education was. How does that matter over 26 miles? Uh, there was, I think one year there was a question about income That was, and what your, what your occupation is. Mm-hmm. Why does that matter? But those questions are there because they're trying to show the sponsors. I remember early sponsors were Perrier, you know, airlines, things like that. Mm-hmm. Show the sponsors. These are the people you want. Perrier particularly was a great sponsor in the middle to late 70s.
1: I want to talk more about the... Connection to ethnicity and Mm -hmm. marathons. You talk a lot about that in the book, The American Marathon. You say, in a way, that for immigrants in particular, the marathon is symbolic of the journey to America from their home countries.
2: Yes, this is one of the reasons that uh, they would run the marathon. It was symbolic of going from nothing to success because I remember there used to be a race from the Bronx to City Hall in about the second decade of the 20th century. And everybody would join in the race. You were there in America, you were nobody, you were a laborer, That's, that was the immigrants lot. But when you ran in that race, everybody cheered for you. And that was the story of success, to come from nothing and to go into that burst of cheering all the way down to City Hall. And remember, for those immigrants, voting was an important event they wanted to vote, they wanted to participate, they wanted to become citizens. And so you ran from the Bronx, which was the country, Mm -hmm. and most of them did come from a rural society. And you ran to more and more buildings and more and more urbanization, and you ran to City Hall amidst cheering, you were welcome to the new world. I think we see some of the same thing today. When you cross the Verrazano Bridge, and you go down into Brooklyn, on the Verrazano, you're alone. It's just you and thousands of other runners. And then you hit Brooklyn, and there's that burst of cheering. And it's kind of the homecoming. And this is something every American has in common. We all came
1: here. Thank you so much for coming in talking to us about marathon history. Thank you. Pamela Cooper is the author of The American Marathon. It's published by Syracuse University Press.
2: My name is Dembaza Dumil, and this is my first marathon. I'm looking forward to getting into shape because my real goal is to play tennis and win a tennis championship. Yeah, so running the marathon will prove something to me mentally as far as my ability to just carry on through a long challenge physically as an athlete. I'm talking about, you know, winning Wimbledon. But it's possible with with nutrition and the proper training.
1: Chances are most of those registered to run tomorrow's New York City Marathon have their training down. But have they been eating right? With us now on Cityscape is Nancy Clark. Nancy is a runner and marathoner. She's also the author of a book that aims to help runners learn about how to fuel up for big runs, like the New York City Marathon. It's called, appropriately enough, Nancy Clark's Guide for Marathoners. Nancy, glad to have you with us.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to be here, George.
1: Nancy, I'm very much looking forward to running the New York City Marathon tomorrow. It will be my second run. I last ran it in 2003. I've gotten a number of long training runs in this season. I think I've been eating right, and I say I think I've been eating right, but I think you would be a better judge of that. So let me run through a typical day for you, if that's okay. That's fine. This morning, for instance, I had oatmeal and tea for breakfast. I just had steamed chicken with broccoli with brown rice for lunch. I plan to have a granola bar late this afternoon, and perhaps for dinner, I was thinking a turkey burger with some vegetables and a potato.
0: Clearly, you're making healthful choices. What I tend to look for are three kinds of foods with a meal. So with your oatmeal, if it is oatmeal, milk, and raisins, or oatmeal, milk, raisins and nuts, then that would be four kinds of foods with a meal. It just gives a little bit better balance and also makes the breakfast a little bit heartier so that you have the energy to train. When do you do your training?
1: I do my training in the morning before work, generally. I train without eating. I shouldn't say that to you, but I do.
0: Well, now, George, do you have a car? I do. Do you put gas in it? I do. before you take it for a drive. Well, think about your body as the same way. And many people are nicer to their cars than they are to their bodies. So I would suggest that you experiment during training. Right now, the advice that I give is a little bit too late. But on a marathon day, you need to have fuel in your body before you run. And you should be have practiced this during your training so that for your next marathon, before your long runs, practice eating the same way that you will do on day of the marathon. So that would mean having the oatmeal before you run rather than afterwards, perhaps.
1: How much should I eat on marathon day?
0: How much you eat really depends on how well your body can handle food. Some people are very stressed and anxious, and they really don't want to eat anything. They're very afraid of pit stops. Other people like to have food in their stomach because they know that then they won't run out of fuel. So there's a spectrum of what to eat. In general, I would recommend that since you're getting up early 0 30 to get to the start of the marathon, that you have your standard breakfast and make it good and hearty enough to last you for your long day ahead of you. So have a hearty breakfast. And then before the marathon, within that hour before it, have another 200, 300 calories as tolerated. Now, can you eat before you exercise? I
1: think primarily for me, it's a time thing. I can eat before I exercise. It's just that I don't take the time to eat before I exercise.
0: Nutrition is a part of your training program. Part of your training is to train your intestinal tract as well as your heart and your lungs and your muscles so that it's not something oh i didn 't have time to eat it 's an integral part of, it should be an integral part of the program. So think about that for your next marathon. I know that you 're trying to keep chipping your times down faster and faster and if you practice with your fueling, my hunch is, is that you can really knock you know a lot of time off of your marathon for the next one. Is this a common
1: problem though that you hear often from people who run that they just don 't take the time to eat right yet they get those runs in.
0: They do. And I was giving a talk to um, a hockey team. which Hockey is very much a, a nutrition sport. And at the end of the talk, the coach was chatting with me and he said, you know, Nancy, these hockey players, this was at Boston College, they show up for classes, they show up for exams, they show up for physical therapy, they show up for homework, they don't show up for food. And it's the same thing in – The case of many, many busy marathoners, you know, they show up for work and life and family, but they don't show up for meals. It's like if you don't show up for meals, you're missing the boat. You might as well not show up for training. It can make that much of a difference.
1: You, though, are a firm believer that you can eat right even if you are on the go.
0: The way that I look at it is that Eating should be a timeline. Most people eat in a crescendo where they do most of their eating at the end of the day. But if you think of eating as a timeline and that people get hungry every four hours. So if you have breakfast at 8, lunch at 12, second lunch at 4. And notice how I've changed the word snack to second lunch. And then you have dinner at 8, If you're training in the morning, you probably want to have part of your breakfast before you run and part of it after. But when people train in the morning, um, say if they train at 6 or 7 in the morning, they're probably hungry for lunch by 11. But if you eat lunch at 11, then what do you do the rest of the day? Well, you have a second lunch at 3. So the the timing can shift according to when you're scheduling. But I'd have you think about having your oatmeal before you run and then refueling afterwards for different reasons. One is when you eat after you exercise, it refuels your muscles. They want carbs to refuel. They want some protein to heal and to build. So having a yogurt, a um, bagel and peanut butter, a fruit smoothie, just something simple that you can grab. Again, it can be grabbed on the run uh, is, is fine.
1: Let's talk about carbohydrates for a moment because we hear it all the time. If you run, you load up on carbs. We have the big pasta party tonight at the Tavern on the Green restaurant in Central Park. But what kinds of carbs should we be eating? And does it help to enjoy a big bowl of pasta before a marathon?
0: It certainly does help to enjoy a big bowl of pasta before the marathon because the carbohydrates are what fuel your muscles. They're stored as glycogen, and as you exercise, you deplete that glycogen. So if you're out there around 18 miles... The glycogen stores tend to be quite low at that time, and that 's when people tend to hit the wall between eighteen and twenty two miles so you can help to prevent that by having your big bowl of pasta and also by fueling during but let 's just look at the the carbo loading aspect of it first. Some people enjoy eating a big carbohydrate meal not the night before the marathon but the day before, for example. Greta Waits, whom I know most New Yorkers um, are very well familiar with, Marathon Queen, says that she likes to have a big breakfast or brunch a carbo-loading brunch because then the food has plenty of time to digest. And I know of other runners that have made the mistake thinking that carbo-loading means stuffing yourself with pasta, and they stuff themselves with this big pasta dinner only to wake up the next day feeling very hungry and bloated.
1: Our producer, Rashida Winfield, went to a training run in Central Park just last weekend and she spoke to some runners who had some questions for you. Here we go. Take a listen to this, Nancy.
0: My name is Ray Swartz. I've run in seven marathons. What types of foods uh, can I eat or not eat during a run?
1: During a run. What kinds of foods can he eat or not eat during that run?
0: He should eat foods that are tried and true, and this goes back to practicing during training. Training is a time to train your intestinal tract. What foods many people enjoy are sports drink, which is calories. What your body wants, it wants water and carbohydrates. Water and carbohydrates come in many forms. A sports drink is water and carbohydrates. Water in gel or goo, cliff blocks, uh, cliff shots, these types of engineered foods is an option. Some people, after New York City Marathon, they enjoy taking their Halloween candy and living on and enjoying candy corn or Tootsie Rolls or um, the leftover Halloween candy because that's carbohydrate along with water. It's hard to say exactly what people should eat because it varies from person to person. But I
1: would imagine, as you
0: said earlier, if you're
1: not used to eating a Milky Way during a run, you shouldn't do it during the marathon. Precisely. Many people, Nancy, use vitamins and other dietary supplements to fulfill their dietary requirements because they simply don't take the time to eat the foods themselves. Do you have any issues with that, anything that people should be concerned about there?
0: No vitamin will compensate for a lousy diet. So it's very faulty thinking that, oh, I can skip breakfast and lunch and live on you know, a vitamin pill, because food offers so much more than vitamins. It offers protein, fiber, phytochemicals, health protective properties, and you won't get that from a pill. So it's naive to think, oh, I eat lousy and I take a vitamin, and it all works out.
1: Here is another question, Nancy, from a runner in Central Park who will be in tomorrow's race.
3: My name is Scott Perez Fox, and I'm training for my first marathon. What is a good food to eat? Either the the next day or the, the night after you run to prevent soreness, so you can recover quickly.
0: Recovery foods, very important, particularly after training runs. After the marathon, I'm not as concerned about recovery because the, the fact of the matter is, what are you recovering for? You're not running again the next day. The next day, you're probably resting and dealing with sore muscles. But what you eat afterwards can indeed impact muscle soreness. I look for a carb-protein combination. Carbs refuel, protein heals and builds. So after marathon, some people like chicken noodle soup because it's salty, which they might find very attractive after having sweated out some salt. It's brothy, liquidy, it's warm if it's a chilly day. It's carbs in the noodles, protein in the chicken a lot. And so a a soupy kind of thing is often popular. It could be a bean soup, minestrone soup. That would be settle easily. Some people are ravenous after the marathon and they can eat anything and they'll head for that piece of pizza. Other people are feeling a little bit queasy and they might want uh, some ginger ale or something that really calms their stomach. Again, it's hard to say, but in the ideal world, you have chocolate milk, yogurt, cereal with milk, a sandwich. Protein carb combinations the same way that you fueled up before the marathon, you refuel afterwards.
1: Nancy Clark, thank you so much for your time.
0: My pleasure and good luck with your marathon. Nancy
1: Clark's food guide for marathoners is out now from Meyer and Meyer Sport. My name is Melissa Clough and I've run one marathon previously in two thousand and five in Richmond, Virginia.
4: Well, in 2005, one of my best friends
1: passed away, um, and she was a big runner and had done several marathons. So another friend and I decided to do a marathon that year in her honor. It's kind of therapeutic. It was the first year, at least. It was a way to... Um, I started training almost immediately after she passed away, and so it was very um, a really positive way to kind of deal with my grief. And then um, for me, the running itself keeps me closer to her. My name is Ava Sear. And this is my second marathon. I'm very excited. April, I joined the Natural Living Walking Club. You know, we started walking a little bit. It was hard in the beginning. Then we started running little by little, and gradually, I started running. Just want to encourage people to live healthy and to eat well. You know, it's just one body we have. God gave us one body. We have to take care of it. They're going to take us through life. Safety is in the minds of many marathoners, especially since the tragic events of this year's marathon in Chicago. Coming up next, we'll talk to the medical director for New York City's foot race. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Boraki. Joining me on the phone now is Dr. Louis Maharam. Dr. Maharam is the medical director for the ING New York City Marathon. He's served in that role for more than a decade now. Dr. Maharam, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. My pleasure. What does being the medical director of the New York City Marathon entail?
3: It entails setting up medical stations at every mile and some half mile. We have over 2,500 medical volunteers for this event, and orienting them, and making sure that everybody's all set for race day.
1: Many of us are familiar with the tragic events at the Chicago Marathon this year. It was an extremely hot day. One runner died as a result of a heart condition. Several others were hospitalized because of the heat. Now, excessive heat shouldn't be a problem tomorrow, but is that something you prepare for anyway?
3: We have um, probably one of the most extensive medical teams and medical preparations if anywhere in the world. We're very, very confident that something that steamrolled in Chicago wouldn't happen here. We have hundreds of ambulances that are beck and call. We have a very strong relationship with the fire department. We have a way to ramp it up. We have a very, very intensive heat plan. We don't expect that type of heat here. Actually, when Fred LeBeau decided to put the marathon the first weekend in November, he picked it because it never gets too hot or too cold. It's usually perfect running weather.
1: What are the most common types of injuries, doctor, that you see along the course?
3: You mostly see overuse stuff, people that have had IT band problems. That's a connective tissue that goes down the side of their leg. that get overstressed or a little runner's knee or hamstring issues or Achilles issues or people rolling their ankles or blisters simple things that usually uh, are very easily treatable. The whole mantra of our medical team is to help people finish the race, and most do. We have a very, very high finish rate here.
1: Doctor, when should a runner stop? When should they say to themselves, I really need to stop here and see someone because I'm not feeling so great?
3: The first thing that they need to be aware of is what their form looks like, what they feel like their form is. So if their form suffers because of some sort of pain the first thing they should do is slow down to shorten their stride length and just slow down and see if they can maintain their form if they can it's probably safe to continue if they can't that's the time to look for one of our red shirted volunteers and they'll be there to help them to figure out what's wrong and, and help them to try to finish the race
1: what are the things that runners have to look out for on the course itself i mean do you have to be concerned about potholes and things like that
3: he's done a really good job of making sure the roads are pretty good for this of course no matter where you run you need to be looking in front of you make sure you're not stepping on someone else's ankle in front of you for example when you're on the ferrissano bridge it's going to be tight when people are you know first starting out not pushing each other over there aren't really very many dangers other than the same type of dangers that you would see you know, in the roadway when you, when you train.
1: Is there a best way to avoid an injury? You mentioned some there, but what other things can you do to avoid the injury? I would think that stretching beforehand is extremely important.
3: Actually, the research shows that stretching within your regular workouts and your regular routines is important, but stretching right before you go out and run isn't as important as warming up. Really, The best way to prevent injury when you're preparing for a race such as the marathon is to train. And that sort of sounds funny, but you really want this to be no different than a long training run. You don't want to eat differently. The first commandment of marathon running is to do nothing new on race day. Don't eat new foods. Don't try new drinking patterns. Don't wear new clothes. Don't wear new shoes. Everything should be the same as their last long training run.
1: Do you think it's also helpful to go into that just with that mindset, to think of it as a long training run. I'm just going out for a long run. Don't worry about the fact that I have 26 miles ahead of me.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, my sort of feeling is this, that the New York City Marathon isn't something that you want to look for your personal best because this this is the best tour of New York City that you will ever have. You're going through all five boroughs. You're going to have cheers cheering of people all over the place. It's the most amazing experience. Coming off of the 59th Street Bridge onto First Avenue, people have said is the most exhilarating experience that they will ever, ever have in their entire life. So I always look at it that everybody behind me is having way more fun than me.
1: This may surprise a lot of people, but drinking too much water can actually make you pretty sick, right? Uh Uh-huh. How so?
3: Drinking too much water causes the serum salt level to go down blood level, and that can make you sick, called hyponatremia. So you want to drink only for thirst.
1: So don't stop at every water station.
3: No, don't stop at every water station. And if you think that you need to do something at the water station, pour it over your head if you're not thirsty.
1: But should I grab for the Gatorade versus the water at a water station if I am thirsty?
3: If you're thirsty, you should be drinking what you do in training. Again, nothing new on race day. I would recommend in training that you'd be drinking the Gatorade because that's probably better. It's better to drink a sports drink if you're out there exercising more than 30 minutes. And I don't think anybody's going to finish a marathon in less than 30 minutes. So you should be drinking the sports drink on the course. But again, if you haven't been doing that in training, not a good idea to do. You need to be drinking exactly what you do in training.
1: What advice do you have for runners for when the race is over and done with to help speed the recovery?
3: Well... First thing they should do is go home and get into either a a cool shower or a cool ice bath because that will help calm down things. It's recommended that they do not get a massage within the first two hours after completing the event because of the lactic acid buildup, which is a byproduct of the muscles working during the race. You want to give your body a good full two hours for the body to buffer that back to normal pH before you get a massage and then a massage maybe two to six hours after you finish the race is usually helpful to get that lactic acid out.
1: Doctor, thanks so much for your time.
3: Thank you, my pleasure.
1: Dr. Louis Maharam is the medical director for the New York City Marathon. His nickname is The Running Doc. Medical volunteers won't be the only ones stationed along the marathon route. There will also be photographers, and lots of them. Brightroom is the company officially in charge of taking runners' pictures. I spoke with Brightroom's sports operations manager, Felicia Jeter, and one of its photographers, Don Mulligan. Felicia, let me begin with you. How much planning goes into taking photographs for an event like this?
4: Will we start the day after the marathon going for next year. It's a year-long process, pretty much.
1: How many New York City marathons have you done now?
4: Uh, This will be my fourth one this year.
1: How many photographers do you have working the New York City Marathon?
4: We get a total of about 70 photographers. Um, We travel in photographers from all over the U.S., we have ground photographers, uh, photographers that do in ladders, and then we also rent lifts for them to uh, get an overhead shot as well.
1: Don, let me bring you into the mix here. You are going to be taking pictures at tomorrow's event. Have you done this before?
5: Uh, yes, I have. It's hectic. It's a lot of people. There are 40,000-plus people running in this, and we try to get pictures of all of them. So we take a huge volume of pictures. It's a physically grueling day to hold a large camera up and take pictures for, for that much time of that many people and to try to be consistent all the way through.
1: Yeah, explain that for me. Take us there, if you will. Put us in your shoes when you're out there. How many photographs are you taking at a particular time?
5: You're taking photos on a pace that is um, close to one a second. Uh, you're taking them basically as fast as you can. Go from person to person and compose the photograph.
1: Are you looking for anything specifically when you focus on an individual?
5: I've been doing this for a while. I don't really even see the individual. I'm, I'm looking at their chest, and I'm looking at, in my viewfinder for the uh, autofocus confirmation light. You become very focused in, no pun intended, on what's in your viewfinder. It's almost like you're playing a video game.
1: So you're not necessarily looking at a face and say, wow, that's some emotion, or I clearly see pain there.
5: Well, you do see that, certainly, from time to time, and over the years, certain runners will stick in your mind, and you'll remember the time that, oh, that person got down on their knees and perhaps proposed to their their girlfriend, now fiancé, right in front of you. But at the New York City Marathon, it's such such volume that it's you can barely think, really.
1: Do you have any particular photographs that you remember taking and said, wow, this really captures the New York City Marathon?
5: At the start of the race, I'll be flying a helicopter. I won't be flying the helicopter. I'll be flying in a helicopter to take pictures overhead. And uh, there are some fantastic pictures that we've captured from there, one of them in particular. uh, The helicopter lines up with uh, the Brooklyn side of the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, and I'm looking right down the length of the bridge, and it appears that the bridge is 100% covered with people from end to end.
1: Is there any advice that you would give to a runner to make sure that they get the photograph that they want, that they're captured in all of their glory?
5: What I would suggest to people is just act like you're happy to be done, throw your arms up in the air and smile. Uh, you don't have to necessarily pose for us, but just try to be natural coming across the finish line.
4: Just a couple of other things to add: um, when you're going through the the course and you see the photographers coming up on the the course location, um, you know, moving yourself towards the edge of the crowd uh, is helpful.
1: Well, I want to thank both of you. Felicia Jeter is the sports operations manager for Brightroom and photographer Don Mulligan. Thanks so much.
4: Thank you. Um,
1: My name is Darren Sobers, and this is my first marathon. I don't have a reason
0: why I'm running, so I don't have a reason not to run.
1: (sighs) There it is. We finally reached the finish line for this edition of Cityscape. Remember, you can get past editions of Cityscape and learn how to podcast the show at WFUV.org. My thanks to producer Rashida Winfield. I'm George Borarki. Thanks for listening.